Morning, everyone. Uh, let me add my welcome to David's. Please you keep your Bible open there at John 19. Uh, names. Names don't always fit the thing named, do they? Uh, a jellyfish isn't actually a fish. A peanut isn't really a nut. Uh, and sometimes names seem completely inappropriate. Uh, a giant mastiff called Tiny. A chihuahua called Goliath. You know what I mean? Names that don't fit the thing named. Because you could wonder today, why do Christians call this Good Friday? You ever wonder that? Why Good Friday? It's a fair question, because other names could seem more appropriate. Maybe Cruel Friday. Uh, today, people wear crosses around their uh, necks without giving it a second thought. That's a bit like wearing a little electric chair on a necklace. Uh, in the ancient world, there were few things more uh, feared than death by crucifixion. A cruel, humiliating, terrifying death designed to inflict maximum suffering on its victim. And that's what we remember today. A human being barbarically tortured and killed. So maybe Cruel Friday, or maybe Wasted Friday. It's sad when anyone dies, of course, but when a young person dies, part of a sadness is, well, the promise of, of what their life could have been, what they might have done, what they, the life they could have lived, uh, their life cut short. And today we remember a young adult, probably about 33, that's my age, whose life is taken from him. Why, we wonder. What a waste. Or maybe Evil Friday, because Christians believe this young man, Jesus, was none other than God in the flesh. Pure goodness walking among us. So today we remember the darkest day in history, the day God's creatures chose to murder him. There's never been anything else so evil as this. And it makes you wonder, what could possibly be good about a day like this? It's the kind of day that could send you thinking, maybe, maybe at the end of the day, all there is is cruelty and waste and evil. Maybe that's what life is really like. You ever find yourself thinking like that? Wondering to yourself, maybe goodness is all pretend, just a mirage. Maybe the truth about reality is something dreadful. Well, if there's any day that shows life is just cruel and waste and evil, surely it's this day. And yet, John would absolutely have us call this day Good Friday, because the one at the center of it is not just a victim of cruelty, though he did suffer. And evil might seem to have its day, but there's much more going on. And the life of this young man is certainly not wasted. Jesus' potential is not cut short by a pointless death. 
No, it's through his death Jesus achieves so much good. See, John wants us to see there is good being accomplished even on this darkest day. Take Pilate and the words he writes, Jesus of Nazareth, the King of the Jews. Now, Pilate, he doesn't mean to broadcast who Jesus is. He's just a powerful man who wants to show he's top dog. So he writes something he knows the Jewish leaders of the day will hate, just because he can. It's all a power play to him. He doesn't mean to broadcast Jesus is the king of God's people, but that is what he ends up doing for all to see, almost as if this powerful man isn't really the one pulling the strings here. Or take the soldiers and the words they fulfill, stripping Jesus and dividing his clothes among them. It never would have occurred to them that their random act of cruelty was planned, that even their decision to cast lots was part of the plan. But little did they know, Jesus' killers were fulfilling a plan they had no clue about. See, it's a bit like one of those Where's Wally cartoons. Wally's hidden somewhere, and if you're anything like me, uh, you look everywhere he isn't before you finally find him, hidden away in the last place you'd look. Well, if you want to find the person who's really in charge on Good Friday, the person who's accomplishing exactly what they've set out to do, it's not Pilate, it's not the soldiers, it's the last place you'd look, it's the one hanging naked and bleeding on a cross. It's hard to imagine a time when someone's less in control than the moment of their death, isn't it? Everything's slipping away. But with Jesus, you don't get the impression his life is slipping away from him. Read this, and you feel he's moving things just as he wants, even deciding when he's going to go. He's in control right at the end. And we said earlier, it's particularly sad when a young person dies because their life feels unfinished, the life they could have lived, the things they could have done. And yet in Jesus' final moments, verse 30, this young man announces, it is finished, done, complete. I've done absolutely everything I came to do and I've left nothing at all undone. Isn't that staggering? That as Jesus goes to his death, his last words are not a cry of defeat, but a victory cry, mission accomplished. See, looking at Good Friday, you might just see cruelty and waste and evil. Maybe that's all there is. But it turns out this dark day is good because Jesus was achieving something glorious through his death. The preacher, Charles Spurgeon, puts it this way. What's the it that was finished? It is the biggest it there ever was. Turn it over and you will see that it will grow and grow and grow and grow till it fills the whole earth. In other words, what Jesus achieved on Good Friday is so massive 
we could spend our whole lives pondering it and enjoying it, and there'd still be more to go. So for the next few minutes, we're going to consider just three things Jesus achieved, three parts of the it Jesus finished that makes Good Friday, this darkest day, truly good. First, through his death, Jesus makes us family. People often observe that today we can be connected with more people than ever before, online, through social media. We can have lots of connections. In that way, we're rich. And yet, when it comes to deep connections, we're poor. We might feel we lack deep connection, secure relationship. Maybe you relate to that. Well, in his death, Jesus makes us family. See there in verse 25, a new family brought together. Near the cross of Jesus stood his mother, his mother's sister, Mary the wife of Clopas, and Mary Magdalene. When Jesus saw his mother there and the disciple whom he loved standing nearby, he said to her, woman, here is your son, and to the disciple, here is your mother. From that time on, this disciple took her into his home. Isn't that lovely? If you were nailed to a cross with soldiers at your feet, dividing up your clothes, fighting for every breath, who'd you be thinking about? I fear I'd be thinking only about myself and the sorry state I was in. Who's Jesus thinking about? Who's he concerned for? Not himself and his state, but providing for others, seeing that his mum and his friend are provided for, thinking of them while he suffers and dies. What a beautiful glimpse into Jesus' heart of love. But we're also getting a glimpse of what Jesus achieves. He brings together a new family, a family that comes into being through his death. People who aren't related, he gives them to one another to love and care as family brought together not by their blood, but through his. In other words, this is a picture of church. If you want to see the outworking of Jesus' death today, then look around. Look around and see your church family. Look and see people who aren't related, but who Jesus has given us to one another, to love and care as a family, brought together not by blood or romance or shared interests, but through his death. So if you're trusting in Jesus, look and see what he's done for you. You're part of a family now. He's achieved that. We long for deep connection and secure relationships. Well, Jesus says, look, here is your brother. Here is your sister. Here is your mother. Here is your son. This family I bring together isn't just a possible thing. It's a finished reality my death achieves. It is finished. You're part of a family. And the love and care you experience from church family flows from his death. Trusting him, we belong. So on this dark day, a new family 
finished by Jesus. Here's the second thing John shows us. Through his death, Jesus pays for our sin. We all want justice, don't we? Uh, Looking around our world, reading the news, the terrible things that go on. We want justice. Oh, that evil was punished. But then we look at ourselves and think of the lies we tell and the people we hurt and the selfishness in our hearts. And maybe we fear justice. We want evil to be punished. But if as a good God, we fear we'll be on the receiving end of his justice. Well, in his death, Jesus pays for our sin. Jesus dies during the Passover festival, which remembers a time when God told the Israelites, your sons are heading for a death sentence, but they can be saved. If you take a lamb, a perfect lamb with none of its bones broken, take a lamb and kill it, and with a bunch of hyssop, wipe the lamb's blood on the entrance to your house. If you do that, your son will be safe. Instead of executing a death sentence, God will pass over you because the lamb has died in your place. What does that have to do with us? Well, we face a death sentence from God for our sin. His justice demands that our evil is punished. Like we fear, we should be on the receiving end of God's justice except that one has died in our place. One John calls the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. The true Lamb, killed with none of his bones broken, hyssop brought to his lips, a perfect one, who dies a death sentence he doesn't deserve so we can be passed over, spared, because this Lamb gave himself to be punished in our place. You know, if you ever wonder, does God really love me? Does he love me? See God clothe himself in flesh so it could be nailed to a cross for you. Fill arteries with blood so it could be shed for you. God made himself killable so he could suffer and die for you. That's how he shows his love. So if you're trusting in him, be assured, your sin is paid for in full. You might find that hard to believe. There might be things you've done you fear will condemn you. But brothers and sisters, the Son of God himself gave his blood to pay for our sin. How could there be anything left to pay? What more could possibly be added. It is finished. He is enough. I love how this song puts it. At the cross of Jesus, pardon is complete. Love and justice mingle. Truth and mercy meet. Though my sins condemn me, Jesus died instead. There is full forgiveness in the blood he sheds. On this dark day, sin paid for, finished by Jesus. A final thing John shows us. Through his death, Jesus gives us new life. 
Uh, we know, of course, that water is essential for life. Without water, nothing can live, but where water flows in rivers and streams and from our taps, life flourishes, which makes water the perfect symbol for life. And that's what John's done in his gospel. Jesus offered the woman at the well living water, water he'd give her that would well up within and become a spring of eternal life. Sounds like he's promising more than just Evian, doesn't it? In fact, he's promising nothing less than God coming to live in her by his Spirit. The source of life himself coming to live in ordinary people like you and me, like a spring of endless life. That's quite something, isn't it? And it helps us with a strange detail John doesn't want us to miss. There in verse 34, a soldier sticks a spear in Jesus' side, bringing a sudden flow of blood and water. That's odd. But verse 35, John thinks it's really important for us to notice. Now, on one level, this is proof of Jesus' death. The soldier stabs Jesus to prove he's dead. And I'm told there's a medical explanation for why this mix of blood and water comes from his side. But remember Jesus' promise to give new life, to give living water. And you'll see the flow from Jesus' side. It's not mainly proof of death, but proof of life. Proof that through Jesus' death, life now flows from him to us. In other words, the Easter message isn't just that God will pass over you because of Jesus' sin-bearing death. That would be good enough, wouldn't it? All our sin paid for, nothing to fear. That would be pretty good, but it's not all. Not only will God pass over you because of Jesus' sin-bearing death, the Easter message is that God will come live within you because of Jesus' spirit-releasing death. The source of life himself will make his home with you and give you life forever. For all those trusting Jesus, that's what his death achieved. And it's not that we won't die. Of course we will. But death won't be the end. As one Christian put it, the death of Christ is the death of death. As we'll celebrate on Sunday, he's made death the pathway to life. And it means any Christian can go to death confidently saying, it is finished. My Jesus has done everything needed to give me life. Friends, if there's any day that shows life is just cruelty and waste and evil, surely it's this day. But it turns out this day is good. It is finished day. The day a new family is born, the day sin was paid for, the day new life began. It's Good Friday. Because however it looks, the one at the center of it all, the one at the center of everything, is good and loving and has triumphed in all he set out to do. So church family, hear Jesus say on this dark day, it is finished. And may we thank him and praise him 
and be glad in him. Let me lead us in a prayer. Lord Jesus, thank you for all you achieved on this dark day. You were torn from your family and you brought us together together 